heads for a blessing on God's Word before we study this morning. Most kind, gracious, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your Word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you, Lord, and to study and, and, and know, Lord, that all things are in your hand. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, take care of these issues that are plaguing our world today, these sicknesses and diseases, Lord, that are that are harming and, and killing your people. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would eliminate them, Lord. Uh, we know that you are the great physician, and we put all our trust and faith in you, Lord, for all our needs. We know it is your world, Lord, and we live in. We thank you for the, your word. We know the power that rests within it this morning, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that if someone here be lost and undone, Lord, your spirit would convict them and bring them to a place of salvation before it is too late. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, the word says, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou bind, build me a house for me to dwell in? In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? Now therefore shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. And as since the time that commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And we'll read our, our golden text together this morning. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Second Samuel 7.13 And I'll read our golden text illuminated. Our golden text illuminated says this morning, King David wished to honor the Lord by building a temple in Jerusalem, but the Lord had determined that David's son Solomon would construct the place of worship. The promise God made to David concerned his descendants. The Davidic covenant, as it is called, ensured that a Davidic descendant would always sit on the throne of Israel. God would not reject David as he had Saul. 
the Davidic covenant speaks of David's descendants as one unified whole. The seed of David, though it includes numerous individuals, is referred to as a single entity. For that reason, the passage seems to speak about David's immediate son Solomon. He shall build a house for my name, while at the same time talking about the final son of David, who will reign in righteousness forever. Jesus would be the living, visible presence of God on earth. The golden text has practical application for every Christian. The one who was born in Bethlehem is the son of David. He is the king of kings. The reign of Christ on the throne of David is a source of incredible hope and joy for the believer. When Jesus takes his place on the throne of David in his millennial kingdom, the righteousness will be celebrated, justice will be served, and the glory of God will be known. Everything that pains us so deeply in this life will be corrected when Jesus sits on the throne of David. We look and long for that day when Christ will be exalted on earth. His saints will be given rest and all will be made right. And we live in a time when it seems, at least to me, that wicked seems victorious more than not. And it's easily when you look at the world around you to get really down and say, where is God in all this? But God is not moved. God is not changed. God is on the throne. God is in control. And while we are in this age of grace and mercy and people are giving a time for repentance, His glory will be shown when He returns on earth and sets all things right and in order. Um, if you watch, first thing I did when I came home and all this was going on around the world and everything, I said, turn the news off, get off social media, disconnect, and unplug for a little while. Because everything we see, a lot of times through the world's angle, it is for simply money-making purposes. And it's easy to get beat up, beaten down, and think that the whole world is spinning out of control. But everything is in God's control. Everything is in the palm of His hands. We don't always understand why things happen. God's ways are far greater than our ways. But you know, I, I told my kids at the high school, they were in panic mode the other day, and I said, listen, it's like this. Go home, go outside and play on the pretty days, take you a fishing trip. No one said you can't enjoy life. It's, they said, use common sense. God-given common sense. Folks, we are too wrapped up sometimes in, in, in the world around us that we allow the devil to beat us into a place of submission. I've prayed every night for this world. I've prayed, I, I did before this all happened. Uh, that people will come to a place of repentance. People will turn to God. They'll turn to Christ. The Bible says if we seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, He will heal our land. It always means a physical healing, it means a spiritual healing. People can go back to loving God the way they once did. Listen, we need to make sure that we lie upon God and not upon ourselves, as we're going to see David done here. David made it, even when he was doing good, he made it about him. This is not about us. Our lives should not be about us. Our lives should be about God and how we are blessed just to get to worship Him, just to be saved. He don't owe us these things. He gives us these things out of grace and mercy. So let's never feel that God owes us anything, but that we are so blessed just to receive what we get from God along the way. We'll get into our questions this morning as we look at the prophecy of David here. Question one says, what problem concerned David after he had taken residence in his royal palace?
the very focus of Yahweh's power and presence, the Ark of the Covenant, shall reside in what amounts to a divinely designed tent, desiring to seek the Lord's will on how he should best deal with this seemingly inequitable situation. David summons the royal prophet Nathan before his throne. David then surmises his thoughts on the subject. So things are really going good for David here. David is not in a dire situation. Things are finally, he's in his palace, all is happy, but he's troubled. He's troubled that he feels that uh, he has this awesome, beautiful palace. And the time, the Ark of the Covenant there, the Ark that, that, that uh, God puts his spirit resided in, uh, was in a like a tent-like structure that traveled with the people. Uh, it was on poles. They'd pick it up. Israel wouldn't pack it. They went to battle. They went with them. Um, but it wasn't any sort of elaborate thing. Now, while David's intention is somewhat good here, it, it, he wants God to have something nice, he's really going about it the wrong way. Because here's the reality. God is in control. And when we serve God, God allows us to do that. He doesn't necessarily need me, but He blesses me to use me. Because in reality, God could move me out of the way and put another man up here just as quick as He put me up here. Because He's God. He can enable anyone to do anything. And David feels here, as we're going to see as we get to the rest of these questions, that he really needs to help God because God just can't help himself. God can very well help himself. And, and, and we, we've, I've been blessed to have the conversation with some church planters recently who are establishing churches in different parts of the state. And one thing we've discussed as we discuss this is building churches. And people talk about how, oh, it's so hard to build a church today. Like it's harder today than it was in the 70s and the 60s. And that's not so. Because man does not build a church, God builds a church. We may build the walls or put the brick up and, and, and we have a wonderful blessed structure to worship in that God has given us. But in reality, any soul that is saved is not saved because of anything a man has done. It's saved in spite of what the man has done, has done by God's grace. So when we get into a position like David and we feel, man, the Lord is just in a bad shape. He needs our help. God, God wants our help. He wants to use his people. But we are blessed. We are the ones who are the benefactor, not God. Because here's the reality of it. We get all tore up sometimes when, when we see the, the, how hard it is sometimes about assembling and things like that. Do you know there are countries where it is flat out you are, you are killed on sight if you worship and God still saves peoples in those countries. God is not upstairs wringing his hands in heaven saying, oh no, what will we do? God knows how everything's going to play out, folks. And we know if we read the book of Revelations all throughout prophecy, we know for the most part how it's going to play out because God is the one divinely in control. Not us. Number two asks, what response did Nathan give to David's inquiry? He gave an immediate amen before he thought about it. <laughs> and and you, we've all done this. I've done it myself. I, I will confess. And we'll do it yeah, a billion times more. There's plenty of things that sound really good in words. And then you take a step back. And there's things that I thought was awesome. I mean, I thought, man, it would be a great idea. And I looked back three years later and I thought, my goodness, I was foolish. That was a horrible idea. But I just couldn't see it at the time because I was looking what was right here, not what was way out here. Uh, and, and we're all guilty of that. A lot of times things sound really good on paper and in practicality they are good. And then when you get down to it, you're like, man, God ain't in this at all. What am I doing? Um, 
I, I had someone tell me one time, he said, all churches have to have contemporary praise and worship music. And I said, if you're ter- pastoring a group of teenagers, yes, that's a great idea. I said, in reality, though, every church is different, every area is different, every culture. And it didn't mean that he wasn't trying to glorify God. What he was doing at the best of intentions. But the problem was, again, he was looking right here and not way out here. You see, God sees the big picture. And sometimes if we talk a lot less and act a lot less and just seek God on things, God can let us avoid a lot of horrible situations. And that's not to say every ministry that we do that fails is not God's will. Sometimes God works through our failures quite often. There's plenty of things I've done that I've failed at that I think God was in because I learned a very valuable lesson through it. And it's molded me and made me better and helped me follow Him better, and He's used it. Because as part of my message tonight, God's even going to take our failures and use them for His glory. But you see, just like with, with Nathan here, it wasn't Nathan or David, either one were trying to do evil. It's just sometimes things look better on paper than what they do when they're acted out here. Sometimes we do... Awesome things for the glory of God. But if we take a step back, we're like, oh, man, that wasn't too good in the long run. Um, We had a time one time, there was a week at Logan Middle School Prayer Club. We were running like 200 kids at Prayer Club every week, and it was awesome. Um, I got, I mean, I was super excited every week, and something happened. They had to shut half our room off. They had these dividers. They said, well, we got to shut half your room off. You may want to cancel. And I said, no, we'll have it. We ain't going to shut down for nothing. Well, all of a sudden, I packed 200 kids that were filling a room twice, about the size of this sanctuary, into a room about half the size of this sanctuary. And they're sitting on each other's lap. They got food, and they're flinging at each other. I realized, oh, I was ignorant. My intention was pure. It was very good. But the reality of the thing was, it didn't work at all. I mean, and in the end of the day, I don't think them kids heard an ounce of that mess. They're too busy smearing spaghetti in each other's hair and everything else because they're right on top of each other. Um, so again, sometimes just because it's good and, and seems practical doesn't always mean it's good. Sometimes it's just not in God's will. And we have to look for God's will in all these things. Number three, why is Nathan's counsel in verse three not a false prophecy? Note here that strictly speaking, Nathan's answer does not stand as an actual divine prophecy, but rather merely merely a general expression of advice in response to David's inquiry. As such, it would not constitute a case of false prophecy or of God changing his mind. As the king's close counselor, Nathan was only claiming to dispense wisdom, not a thus saith the Lord prophetic pronouncement. And this is a big difference we need to understand. There's plenty of times when I give advice, I try to do it based on biblical concepts. But even in the Bible, there's certain areas that is, you know, they just they doesn't really speak on a whole lot. And there's times that I may give advice and I try to make sure when I do it, I say, now this is Justin speaking, this is my opinion. Because sometimes we have to interpret. And we have to use the best biblical basis to interpret. Now, you and I may interpret differently on some things. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're going to hell for a different interpretation because there is, some, there is some area in the Bible where we have Christian liberty for interpretation. Now, something's black and white. You can't get around it. But other areas we have to interpret using our best study, our best guiding of the Spirit, letting God work in us to open our eyes to things. Um, I've got friends of different denominations that I disagree about on certain interpretations. It doesn't mean that he's not a good Christian brother or I'm not. It just means we view it differently. Those are the gray areas that we're talking about here. These are not, thus saith the word, Lord. This is, thus saith my interpretation. Your commentaries in your Bibles. I try my best when I preach not to read commentaries. 
Uh, I will, like for word definitions and things like that, but if I'm not careful, I start preaching commentaries. I don't want to preach to you a commentary. I want to preach to you what the Word says and try to provide commentary where appropriate. But we want to abide in the Word as much as we can. Nathan here isn't giving prophecy. He isn't saying, thus saith the Word. He isn't saying, thus saith God. He's saying, Nathan thinks. Nathan is a human. Justin Basin is a human. There are plenty of times I will tell you things that I may look back at your letter and say, I was wrong and I apologize. And I, and I, there's times I've come to some of you all and said, hey, when I said that, I was wrong and I apologize for it. That was my flesh uh, and, and I, that's my fault. We all do that because we're human. So we have to realize there's a difference between divine God, divine word. This word is infallible. It'll never make a mistake. My sermons are not infallible. They, they can make mistakes. But when I focus on the Word, there's a lot less mistakes because this is perfect. That's why a sermon should be the most... The, all the Word you can squeak into that thing should be in there. The more than me I get into it, the more apt there is to be a mistake. But I can't fail as long as I ride in this. This is where I have to rest. And this is where our faith, our belief, our lives have to rest is on this Word. It's the only thing that's not fallible. I mean, even even like when you go online and look up study notes and stuff, those are written by a guy somewhere. He can make mistakes. That's why we have a th- we have billions of different denominations because man got involved. And long as man is involved, we'll never have a perfect church, never have a perfect interpretation. We have to go what the Word says. The Word is the one thing that is perfect. I think it's Yeah, it's faith. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. One, a few words can make a big difference. Um, even those words we consider inconsequential. Well, look at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In the interpretation, believes and believeth it means different things in Greek. Believeth is a continual action word. That means you believe then, you believe in the future, you believe forever. If I just say believe, it becomes a shot. I go to an altar, I believe for a second, I'm done, I don't. I can become atheist after that. That's not what the Bible says. It's believeth, which means continual. So it, it is important. It's important to know that what those words, and, and I believe, well, even when the King James, you need to look at what the meaning is of those words. Because... I mean, there's plenty of i got to get out of dictionary and say, oh, what in the world does this word even mean? I can't remember our sermon was last Sunday. The word in our last sermon had a word in it that I just flat out, it was not a t- contemporary word we used. And I'd look it up. i say, what is this? What is the meaning behind this? That way I could get the whole picture. Folks, When you, it, it's important. Just like Sister D said, it is very important to know these wordings. Uh, number four. What was God's answer to David when he visited Nathan that same night? Rhetorical. <laughs> so, 
this is where it hits all of us a little bit. Uh, and I can say it hits me precisely because as a pastor, a lot of times I want to build God's house because I, there ain't a person that loves their church that doesn't want to see the, the place plumb full. I mean, we all feel that way because we love our church. Um, and there's plenty of times I'm like, man, I need to do this and do that and actually kill myself trying to do all these things. And I start to realize as longer I do this, the, sometimes if I take a step back and pray and allow God to do his part and me to get out of the way sometimes, it's a whole lot more effective. Because God can, like there's people that I have, I mean, I've, I've begged and pleased, man, I would love for you to come to our church. Can't get them to come out for nothing. The minute I take a step back and say and just start praying for them, they pop in that door. And that's not to say we shouldn't work. We should work. But we need to realize that the worker ultimately is God working through us. The only reason I can stand up here and preach on Sunday nights or even on Sunday mornings without absolutely having a stroke doing it is because I realize that God and His power and His mercy and His grace can work through all my failures, all my stumbles, all my ignorance. He can work through because He is God and I'm just a piece of clay He's utilizing. When we put God in a place of authority where He should be and put ourselves down here as His humble servants, His children, it changes things a whole lot. And for me, it makes me feel a lot more able to serve. I, I don't get nearly as worried about messing up, making mistakes when I allow God to do those things. Now, I know people who have worked themselves into a grave and are miserable in their ministry because all they've done is, is thump and thump and thump and do all these things and they, they don't take a moment to rest. They don't do this. They don't do that. And then they don't pray because they're still busy doing everything else. They wear themselves out. Man, it's so much more rewarding sometimes to just do what God tells you Pray about what you can't do and allow God to sort these things out. Listen, David, he thought, man, I'm going to do God a favor. I'm going to build him a house. God's going to owe me something. No, God builds himself. God takes care of all God wants. And he blesses us with the chance to be his footpiece. I think of Sadie. When she helps her mommy cook, say they're making a cake, you know, she does the little things. The things that obviously Sadie can handle. We're not going to let her handle raw eggs and things like that, but she can take and stir and do stuff like that. Now, in reality, Mandy's the one who makes the cake. But Sadie has little ways of helping along the way. In the reality, God builds the church. God saves souls. God does all these things. But we get to stir the batter every now and then. And we should thank God for them little opportunities he gives us to stir and to help out where we can because he uses us and blesses us in that way. Uh, number five, what had David presumed about himself in God's temple? David's problem was that he had seen the building of Yahweh's temple as a favor that he could do for God rather than the great and holy honor it really was. David forgot that Yahweh does not need the power of riches or any earthly prince to accomplish what he desired. Rather, when the supreme creator of the universe wants something, he usually chooses the most unlikely persons and circumstances to accomplish it. This brings greater glory to his name since he himself was as an even And we need to remember that. And everything we do. Um I'm glad that they declared today a national day of prayer, but you know what? The church could have prayed without it. It'd been just as effective. Um, I'm glad it brought attention to it. A lot of people, I mean, I'm sorry, but a lot of people, when they panic, they forget prayer. Um, and we should pre praying through all these things. We should, I'm, I'm hoping people didn't just start praying. Uh, just like I hope people didn't just start washing their hands. But I'm, I'm hoping people are utilizing it. Um, but God doesn't need people in authority to give God the permission to do these things. God is God. 
God is authoritative. God is sovereign. And I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter if it is corona, it doesn't matter if it's Ebola, it doesn't matter if it's war, pestilence, famine. When God wants to call all this to an end, we're going out. It's simple as that. And there ain't going to be nothing we can do to give us more time or less time for the church because God will rapture the church out when God so desires it. We need sometimes, again, to take a step back and, and, and elevate God to his proper place. I think I hear people all the time in their church, they're good Christian people, um, but they've got this idea of a little God, that God is just this little tiny figure and he's so concerned and tore up about things and that he's all worried about the churches and all worried about the world we live in and he's all just, he's so nervous. And That's not God. God is King of kings and Lord of lords. God knows everything coming to pass. He's not deceived by anything. And He's going to take care of all these things as He wills and in His way. We're just living in His world. And we need to trust in Him. We need to lean on Him. Lean on His understanding. Because, you know, we, we don't understand these things. But God does. God knows all these things. Just as He didn't need David, He was blessed to use David. Remember, David's a man for God's own heart. He's a good godly man, but again, God just uses us and we're blessed to have him. Number six, what point did God want to get across to David regarding his success? And that's for all of us. Every single one of us would not mount to a hill of beans if it was not for God Almighty. Um, there is not enough education or smooth-talking classes in the world to bring a sinner to repentance. Um, there is nothing I can do to convert a man by begging or pleading or smooth-talking or, or whatever else. It is all God. Uh, we would not even have a breath of life to breathe. Our heart would not pump if it was not for God. Uh, we need to realize just how in control and how honored we should feel that God even gives us a breath of life and gives us an opportunity to come to Him for salvation. Um, we, we done a, I had to take an environmentalism class through Western University, and one of the things they brought out, and it was really, it was meant for an atheist reason, but I saw a god pretty principle in it, was the whole world is basically at all times, and I've said this before, six degrees from being destroyed. And that's on average. It doesn't mean what some six degrees cold. On average, if the whole world temperature got six degrees hotter, we would burn up because the animals could, they couldn't produce. The crops, things would burn up. And we got six degrees colder on average, we'd have an ice effect and plants couldn't produce. And we think that God and his sovereignty keeps us at that perfect balance of harmony at all times that we have seasons, that we have crops, that we have uh, cattle and, and livestock, and we have farms, and we have air to breathe and oxygen. We don't have too much oxygen, don't have too much carbon dioxide. Everything has harmony in it. Is a prove, It proves a creator. Even in our own bodies, there's what is called the God molecule. And in that God molecule, there's a there's a piece of our body that science cannot explain. 
It basically is what gives us our personality. It's what uh, develops us into our human nature. Uh, it's something that animals don't have. Only humans have it. And it's science calls it a God molecule because no one can explain why it's there or how, it, how we get that. Folks, when we look at this, we need to realize, again, we are nothing without God. Um, I think about people who get in a really bad, sinful way and they fall into addiction and things like that. Um, I, I could have been in that same position as anyone else. My generation, most of them, wound up on pills and things of that nature and found themselves in a bad, sinful state. But, but praise God, He never got done with me. He kept convicting me till I came to Him for salvation. He saved me. and uh, I've never been perfect, but He's never let me go. and He's always been with me. Um, but it, it's God that does all those things. We are just that, that piece of clay that the potter is using. Number seven, what further reason did God give for not allowing David to build his temple? And that gets us through 7 and 8 there. And I'm glad Sister Joy lumped those together because really those go perfectly together. Um, we need to realize every person that is born again has a job, has a mission to reach souls for the kingdom. But that does not mean they all are given the same task. That's why when you read the Bible, it has certain qualifications for a pastor explicitly, certain qualifications for a deacon explicitly. Uh, there's people that are born-again believers in Jesus Christ that I would not want teaching Sunday school. Uh, they just they don't have the, uh, uh, the temperament for dealing with children. Uh, we need to realize that God qualifies us for the position that He desires for us. I see places of people that are trying to force themselves into pastorates, and they're never successful because God isn't in it. Uh, you look at the biblical qualifications, they're not qualified. Uh, they have something in their life that happened along the way that they're flat out not qualified for it. And because of that, they've got no business seeking that. It's not that they're not good people. It's not that they're not Christian. It's just that's not God's plan for them. And we shouldn't desire each other's ministries. There's so many ministries to do. Only when you're in your ministry will you truly enjoy it. I love to sing. But singing is not my ministry. I, 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 it's just not for me. I, I, I have times I can hold a note, and I got times I crack like I, like my voice is plumb going out. I just don't have that. Now, Mandy, praise the Lord, Mandy's got a voice that she can sing like a songbird. Um, but that is that's what God's given her. Um, the only thing you know what God gave me was a loud mouth, and that's what I utilize. Uh, we have to use what God gives us, and li and you know be play, praise Him for that. Um, at one point in time, you know, and I've. Here in the last couple months, I've got blessed to get to work with the kids again, to hear Hugh Dingus at the church. I've enjoyed that. God's blessed me through that. I come home always filled to the brim, just thrilled to death for the things I hear and the things some of the kids say and they see, uh, and seeing kids have interest in God and things like that. Uh, that's what you get out of serving. When you get real busy and get on fire for God and just allow Him to use you in whatever way. There's times I come down here, I'll find a loose doorknob and tighten it, and I enjoy doing that. Because I feel like I'm, I'm, God's letting me do something for Him. 
And, and it's just like when I used to help dad when he was working on cars and I'd hold a wrench or hold a light and usually I'm holding the wrong spot, but I still get to do it. I felt like I was really doing something big for dad, even though he could have done it by himself. But I felt good. Man, God does the same thing when you're serving him. It makes you feel so good to get to serve him and to find whatever way. But we need to use the way he calls us to serve. Don't try to get into a way that is not for you. And a lot of times, even with, I know good people have the hardest time with this because good people will see something. They'll say, man, my church needs this and this and this. I'm just going to do it, even though they know they don't have the ability to do it. They don't have the time to do it or whatever. And they get out in it, and all of a sudden they get wore out, burned out, and they just don't feel like doing it, and they're not really got their heart in it. Um, we need to make sure when we do these things, we go all in for God. We don't want to halfway do it. If I halfway pastor the church, I might as well know a pastor the church. Uh, if I halfway teach youth group, I might as well know a teach youth group. I need to make sure I am all in allowing God to use me to the best of my ability and the best of you know His ability. That way I can be truly effective and be what God wants me to be and maybe not be holding someone else back from receiving a blessing along the way. Uh, number nine, what kind of house would God build for David? Amen. And that's that kicks through 9 and 10 there. Um, when we look at what God does through David, God is still doing the same thing today. He's building a house. And he's building his church one piece at a time. And uh, I talked to my kids at Good News Club about this the other day. because part of our lesson. You ask the kids the question, well, what, is, what is the church? Well, it's a building we go to. Oh, what, what, what is the church? Well, it's, it's where we sing and we study our Bible. We go to Sunday school. So, no, that's a church. That's not the church. It's where wording again is important. The church is every born-again believer. Whether we are here, whether we're in the apple orchard, whether we're in our homes. Two or more gathered in my name, I'll be in their midst. When me and Mandy is in our home, we make up the church. We're both born-again believers. And that's why it's important to not just study and worship here, but do it in your home. I had some people call this week from the church, and he said, listen, I'm sickly. I don't feel comfortable coming out. Uh, I've been through this, been through that. And I said, well, listen, if you, you know, use your best judgment. The message will be online. It doesn't give you a day off. That means you're going to worship in your own way where you can. You worship, you open your Bible, you study, you do just like you would do if you are in the sanctuary. That's why I made sure I recorded this morning. I don't normally record Sunday mornings, but I said, until you know, people feel safe and stuff, I want to give every single option, every single possibility out there for people to have a chance to worship. And even even not on Sunday, folks, Monday through Saturday are great times to worship. Uh, we should not make our worship only to one place, one time, one moment. Our worship should be a 24-7 event that takes a place anytime we have the opportunity to worship. Because God, He doesn't just show up on Sundays. God shows up seven days a week. And remember, who's in control? It is not David. It's not Saul. It's not us. It is God. God is the one in control. God is the one who will build His church. And a lot of times, we get what we call castle-minded. When we're castle-minded, we get all worried about getting numbers in a building. And, and, I, and again... I love to see this church house packed plumb out. It blesses me more than I could ever imagine. Um, but at the end of the day, my most critical goal 
is getting people into the kingdom, not into the building. Because if I get them into the building and they go out lost, I didn't really, I mean, praise God they came, but the, the main point is missed. I want to see people saved. And if they go to church here, thank God. If they go to church down the road, thank God. Praise God they got saved. You see, when we invest ourselves into kingdom building, God takes care of the castle. God can take care of the, of the sanctuary. And I try never to look at that board because where there's 38, 5, 3, I thank God he gives us a little church here on the holler. Because we're blessed to have it. And God is not leaving it. God is not forsaking it. God is not abandoning it. He says He would go with us all the way. Folks, that's God. The reason He does that is not just because we, you know, we're worthy or because we're righteous. It's because what that number 10 there, what Lionel read, where it says, of course, that we know that the one who's become the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy is Jesus of Nazareth. The way we get grafted into that family of David is not through good works, church membership, or even baptism. It's by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, we are told we become part of the family. We become co-heirs with Christ. We are one with Christ. And when we become one with Christ, God does not see all our faults and failures. He sees my child. That we are branded, we are marked by the Holy Spirit the minute we believe in Jesus Christ. Not because of us, not because of lineage. Um, you know, I, a lot of people weren't raised in church, and that's fine. Praise God, it doesn't matter what mama, papa, great grandma, great grandpa did. It matters what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I was saved before any of my immediate family. That was God's way of taking it, it's God's way of doing it. Now, who is me? Who am I to question God's ways? But Justin had to make that decision because when judgment comes, Justin would be the one facing God, not anyone else. And when I make a decision in my daily life, that's how my decision is made. If work tells me to do something that I think is wrong, I will not hesitate to say, sorry, I'm not going to do that. And they can write me up, fire me, whatever they feel need to be done, but Justin's going to do what Justin thinks is right because Justin is accountable for Justin. We're all accountable for ourselves. We're all accountable for what we do with this man named Jesus. We need to make sure that our, the Bible says that examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, make sure our call and election is sure, make sure we truly trusted in Christ. So as we get ready to bring the kids back and everything this morning, I want to thank everybody for coming out, for being with us this morning. Uh, I know, like I said, numbers are down. Don't let it get you down. Um, God is in control, as we said. God's going to take care of all these things. 